missed the snow already. Oh, I am sorry. I was running those through, and I said, man, I miss skiing. But anyway, so kids love to play follow the leader. Even big kids love to play follow the leader. And some big kids like to jockey for who will be the leader, and they have, uh, in a sense, enticed us to watch them and pay for them to have these kinds of races. Uh, it's something we call NASCAR, and it looks something like this. There go, the 11th, now also caught up in it. The whole Haley. Turn four here. The oh, and into the wall, the wall goes Bubba Wallace. Oh, and he comes back across the track, tags the five. They're both in the wall. The caution comes out. I have never seen anything like that before in my life. And I'd like to admit that's something I've really never seen in my life because I'm not a NASCAR guy. I don't know. Some of you could just watch them around and around and around. And I know some of you love going to the track, but uh, that's kind of not my thing. But uh, when I think of uh, following the leader and I think of jockeying for being the leader, I think more of these guys. That's what I'm talking about, baby. <laughs> follow the leader. Catch me if you can, right? But uh, seriously, this idea of following the leader. Uh, kids, we, we like to do that, so they learn to follow instructions. Uh, they learn to hear our voice. And then somewhere along the line, we stop liking to follow the leader. We kind of grow out of that, and uh, maybe that's good, maybe that's bad in some areas. And so we get to this place where we are trying to figure out who is the leader in our life? Who do we follow? And for those of us that are Christ followers, this whole idea of following the leader comes to this concept that you and I ought to follow God in our lives. And some of you are still kicking the tires trying to think if faith is really something that's real. Is it really possible to, uh, that there is a God? And then if there is a God, can he have a personal relationship with you? And can he be a part of your life and be a support to your life? But also the idea, if there is a God, then we ought to follow him. Uh, he ought to be our leader. And as we grow in our faith, that's the reason it's important to see uh, that uh, growth process, and the first uh, uh, part of that is that follow class, one-on-one um, -on -one time or group time, to make sure that you and I are learning to identify God's voice in our life, in our heart, in our soul, His promptings, and to know that if they're making you feel guilty, hopefully that's not me, uh, it's not flashbacks from when you were a kid and you just have to do it that way, but it's actually God speaking into your heart and growing in that relationship so you know his voice. Jesus says this, yet you stubbornly refuse to follow me because you're not my sheep. Ooh, as I've told you before, my own sheep will hear my voice and I know each one and they will follow me. And at first, that's like, ooh, I, 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 I want to be my own leader. 
But for those of us who have been around the block a little bit, for those of us who have experienced a lot of life, there's a time where we say, man, I want a leader I can trust. I want a leader that I can lean on. I want a leader that knows what's going on and doesn't have an agenda to take from me. We've learned this as we've gone through this idea of seeking the king, seeking the king, and that Jesus is the perfect king. And we see this setting up with the judges and now Samuel and now Saul. And uh, a lot of these kings, Samuel even said it, are going to be kings that take, don't give. Even the best of them are taking something. But Jesus gives, and it began with him giving us life and then giving his life for us. So this idea that we can have a king that we can confidently lean on, so what we want to do is we want to make sure we're able to identify his voice, know who he really is, because he knows who we are, Know the real Jesus. There's a lot of ideas out there. And that's why we need to sink ourselves into his word and with other Christ followers that are rowing in that direction so that that just is confirmed in our lives. So as we're unpacking this and moving through 1 Samuel, today we're looking at chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 15. You can find that in that little rack Bible in front of you uh, if you don't have your own personal copy of God's Word, a printed Bible, please feel free to take that Bible as a gift from Seneca Community Church. Also, we suggest uh, if you have a smart device, a smartphone or something, you get version, which just opens up a whole world to you. I was talking to someone in the last couple weeks, and they're just really enjoying uh, plugging into a daily reading plan. It helps figure out what subject you want to go with, and then it gives you some readings. It can be like three days, five days, ten days, longer than that. And you can start to, again, have it confirmed what God's voice sounds like in your life so you're sure you're not going in some unusual direction, but you're following his voice, and it really is his. So Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel, 2,000 were him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gilba in Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Now Jonathan attacked the Philistines' outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hill here. So all Israel heard the news. Saul had attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel had become obnoxious to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. Now it's interesting, when you functioned in the name of the king, the credit for the win or the loss went to the king. So here's Jonathan out and about doing what he ought to do, and Saul gets the credit. And even in this little verse here, it should start to give us a kind of a hint of what kind of king Saul is going to be 
and uh, it, it should be concerning a little bit. Later on, weeks down the road, we're going to see that King David, there were some times where his generals were out, and King David is getting older, so he's not out to, on the battlefield, and they would call for David to come at the last minute, so he was there, so he would get the credit. That's the way it worked back then. doesn't sound fair, but if you work for any organization, sometimes you have a boss, and you do all the work, and who gets the credit? Your boss. So that's kind of not necessarily always fair. Hopefully you have a boss that, uh, you know, talks about that and lifts you up. But uh, this is what's going on here. So we already see, um, in a sense, Saul kicking back and Jonathan uh, doing something. It's interesting. I'm just going to throw this out here. We'll get this. But, uh, you know, some we're going to see that uh, if uh, Saul responded correctly to God's voice, and it was very clear that uh, Saul's reign, his dynasty, is, uh, would be established forever. And what's interesting is sometimes we go, ooh, Saul, and some of us who know a little bit more about the Bible say, yeah, David's in the wings, and was David to be the original king anyway, and they kind of got ahead of themselves in requesting a king. But I also, as I've been thinking about this, wondered, you know, yes, that, that's a part of it, but God's plan is just huge, and I wondered if Saul had done the right things, would Jonathan have been the king? And if you know anything about Jonathan... Jonathan's a stand-up guy. Jonathan has some of the heart that King David had. So just, just something to think about that as we toy with that. Could Jonathan have been the king and changed everything and David had been you know, a helper to him? It flips that Jonathan's willing to do everything for David, even give his life for David, and that's very unusual. That shows the quality of Jonathan's heart. That was, a, that was a bonus there. So anyway, the Philistines assembled to fight Israel, and 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and thousands of soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up at camp at Milkmash, and east of Beth, Aden, and then the Israelites, when they saw the situation were critical that, and that their army had, was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in the pits and the cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad in Gilgad. Saul remained in Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking in fear." He waited, that's Saul, seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So Saul said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings, and Saul offered up the burnt offerings just as he finished making the offering. Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgad and I've not sought the favor of the Lord. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Side issue. When you and I are growing in our relationship with God, we hear his voice and we can figure out what is compelling us to do something or not to do something. 
And so we can't get all into Saul's head, but uh, he felt compelled. He felt driven to act. And obviously, we're going to see that that was not what God had intended him to do. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. That's the idea about Jonathan there. But now, your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Then Samuel left Gilgal and went to Gibaj and Benjamin, and Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. So here we have 2,600. Maybe even the numbers would be even larger because when Jonathan rejoined his father, there might have been 3,000, and now we're at 600. So what do we do with this? How do we incorporate the idea of following the leader? Again, if you're not a Christ follower, I don't expect you to act like a Christ follower because you haven't said yes to Jesus. But if you and I are a Christ follower, we've said yes to Christ, then we ought to express that with the way we interact with the world around us. And when we don't, not only is that not good for our own life and the life of those around us, it's also not good for our, we sometimes call it our witness, our testimony, our example. And not that others then have a, you know, a toehold to, to stand on, if you will, but all of us have heard this before. You Christians are so hypocritical. And often... That accusation is absolutely true. So following his lead, following his commands is crucial. But when you and I decide to follow him, we need to realize that you can't follow Christ without the challenge of trials. Sometimes when I'm in a conversation with someone and they seem to be ready to say yes to Christ and I'm, I'm talking with them about that, I make sure that I express honestly that if they say yes to Christ, that does not mean life is going to become perfect. It does not mean that everything's going to be easy and they're going to have a special blessing. Sometimes you hear these guys that talk about you have a special blessing and you'll have prosperity and all these kinds of things. I'm going to say often it can be quite the opposite. Sometimes it gets harder when you say yes to Christ. You come off this mountaintop and you're feeling excited and and uh, you're just feeling great about following God. You've said yes to Christ. And all of a sudden, some things in life do come into focus. But then all of a sudden, some things in life uh, get more difficult. Uh, life, somewhere, all of a sudden, something comes out from left field. You didn't even see it coming. And, and it's a trial. And you go, wow, why would this happen? Uh, it seems like this trial wasn't even on the horizon before I said yes to Christ. Now that I've said yes to Christ, life is tougher. I thought life was going to get easier. 
When you look at our Savior, Jesus, he died for us. When you look at those early Christ followers, they gave up everything. We're kind of an anomaly in this country that, that we can follow Christ, and for the most part, things can go pretty sweet for us. Through history, that's not been the case. Through history, a lot of times someone saying yes to Christ meant they lost everything. They lost their family. They were written off. They lost their livelihood. Many lost their lives. So, yes, would you like to follow Christ today? Would you like to say, ooh, no, you know, but, but that, I'm being honest with you. I'm not being honest with you to paint this rosy picture. James talks about this, Jesus' brother. You know that under pressure, your faith, life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. Those of us who have said yes to Christ, when we get backed into a corner, how do we respond? Do we react? Do we all of a sudden pull up those behaviors that are B.C. behaviors, before Christ behaviors in our life, and all of a sudden we find ourselves acting like our old self? You see, when you guys are, when we are in a trial, when the pressure's on, it's an opportunity to see how deep faith has gone into our life. really like that truth, but that is what James is saying. So when you have a moment in life and even after you've said yes to Christ and all of a sudden you get some clarity in your life and you say, wow, this action should be a part of my life or this thinking should be a part of my life or I need to pull back from that action, pull back from that thinking, uh, sometimes that makes life harder. And you need to understand that. But when you and I do that, it's an opportunity for Christ in our lives, in a sense, to bubble to the surface. And I wish I could say I do this all the time, but when the heat is on, every once in a while, I like to sit back and lean in and say, all right, God, the heat is on, the bottom seems to be dropping out, I'm actually going to trust you, crazy thing. I'm going to follow your lead. I'm going to look for you to at least calm my heart. The storm outside may be going, it may be raging, but the storm in my heart, I want it to be calm. And so it gives us an opportunity to live that way. James goes on and says, so don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. When you and I are under trials and we pull back and we, I mean, we're not supposed to be masochists or anything, but we pull back and, and we get out of it prematurely, the work that God wanted to do in our hearts hasn't come full circle. Sometimes I have to learn the same lesson over and over again because I, at the end of the lesson, instead of the capstone going on that lesson, I, I, I messed it up, and now I need to learn that lesson because my heart really wasn't changed. If you do know what you're doing, if you don't know what you're doing, this is great. Pray to the Father. He loves to help you. You'll get his help, and he won't be 
condescended or you won't be condescended to when you ask for it. It's not a shame thing. Oh, Dave. Dummy, you don't, you know, why aren't you getting, you know, no. It's, it's, it's son, daughter, child. I love when you ask for help. Help me to, let me see you through this. And that's a wonderful place to be. Have you ever had someone in your life that you ask for help frequently and they act like they want to help you, but when you ask for help, you, you feel the shame and you almost kind of like don't want to ask them because you know you're going to pay a price for like, oh, yeah, don't have your act together. I'll, yeah, I'll help you with that. God's never that way. Never that way. And if you think he's being that way, then you're hearing a wrong voice. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. That is a lie when you think that. Anything contrary to God's word, that's why we need to know God's word. That's why it's so important. It was great at our Awana uh, award ceremony on a Thursday night to see these kids who are hiding God's word in their heart. And I, and I loved what our, Doug, our Awana missionary, said. He said, it's not just so they can recite verses. It's so that it can change their heart. One of the methods of changing their heart is getting it hidden in their heart. So this idea that uh, God can be there for us, so we need to know his voice. Everything that goes on into life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know him personally. Again, this idea of knowing him personally. The one who invited us to God. The best invitation we ever received. You know, it's just, you know, it's just, it's just wonderful that, that, that God comes through for us and gives us everything we need, equips us, fills in the edges, fills in the extra things, protects us, is, is, just, is just there with everything you need. He's there for you. So whatever you're facing today, I don't feel like I'm over-promising, but whatever you're facing today, God is there for you, and he equips you perfectly for that moment. He, the important of be, being a part of a church family, uh, community groups, is, is so that you can share these things so they can come alongside you and help you. Because sometimes you, you, you need someone else speaking into your life. You need someone else to kind of lean on a little bit. They're, in a sense, uh, God's presence in your life. I mean, some of us can think of exact times where, where someone else, it wasn't like in a, in, a, in, a, in a weird way, but they were, in a sense, the voice of God in your life. What a wonderful thing. And you say, wow, God is speaking through them, not in like a prophetic way. He's just coming alongside and he's reminding you or she's reminding you of some of the things you need to be reminded of. And it, it's, just, it's just so fantastic to know God has your back and those places that are lacking in your life are covered you know i um i'm really bad mechanically with anything 
Some of you know that. Uh, I, I can't do any of those things right. I mean, I, you know, I, I have a bicycle, and I, I can't even change the tire, right? I usually have to bring it up to Geneva to get them to do it, because when I do it, something's wrong. The wheel wobbles, or something's wrong about it. And uh, that, that can be really frustrating, and sometimes I've got to lean on some of you to say, hey, help me with this. So yesterday is, is just a prime example of yesterday. My dad has these lilacs out there. And, uh, you know, growing at the end of his little box there, he likes to plant, and uh, he wanted me to put some poles in it to kind of straighten them. And you can kind of see the poles there. They weren't before they were blowing all around the wind. And so Dad asked me to do that. So I said, sure, I can do that. So I have these old uh, long tent poles, and I, I bring them out. You know, it's kind of one goes inside the other, and it's got this little doohickey, and it kind of makes tension so it goes up and down. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you go, oh, yeah, I know what. There's probably a name for that doohickey. But anyway, so, so I, I got there, and I'm banging around. I brought a hammer out, got all the tools out, and, you know, and... and even that I didn't get right. I separated the two, and then I said, oh, I'll, I know what I'll do. I'll bang the bottom part in first. So I'm banging it in, banging it in, banging it I get it in, and I go to take the top part to slide it back in, and I've been banging the top of it, so now the top, it looked right, but it was too thick. I'd, like, like messed it up, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I can't even do that. And I took the other pole, put it upside down. Dad said, like, use the point, bang it in there. So, but, but that's just a sample. When it comes to things spiritually in your life, we need others. We need God, and God promises that he'll come alongside us. Just talking about this trials a little bit. When it comes to trials in our lives, everyone falls into least, in at least one of these three categories. First of all, very obviously, you're in the currently in the middle of one. You know it. It's, feel, it's heavy on you right this minute. Or one is on the horizon that you don't even know about. Things are going well, but I hate to say they're, they're, this isn't to be Debbie Downer. There, there, is, there are trials on the horizon. It's a part of living in a broken world. And it's a part of about living in a world where Christ, God, wants us to grow and trials, as we already read, help us to grow. Or you're just coming out of one. So it shouldn't surprise you. It shouldn't surprise me. There's always something. I, I think I get out of one, and I think I'm going to get relief. And there is some relief for a little while, but all of a sudden, another one blows into life. It's just the way it is. And again, my response to those is either a reaction or there's a response. So I took those poles and made them into javelins and threw them way out in the woods because I was so mad at them, swore a couple times and felt better. No, that didn't happen. I didn't react that time. I responded. I said, oh, this is a sermon illustration for tomorrow. So what are we to do? First, we should prepare ourselves. We should get ready. And basically, that's what Saul is doing. Saul gathers men. He knows as king, 
nations, he needs an army. He needs to be ready for that. He needs to be ready for the battles. It shouldn't surprise him. He's now king. The other nations, the other groups around him knows, and they're going to push the borders. It's going to be pushed back and forth, and he's got to be ready. He can't wait for the battle to come and then call up the reserves. He needs to have them now, and and, and that's a good thing. And spiritually, you and I who have said yes to Christ, when there is a calm time, we need to be in prepared mode. Just like when you have some resources financially, rather than spend all your money, you ought to save some of your money because you know there's a day coming when your expenses are going to be up. That's not rocket science. That's just reality. So you prepare. Hope you can spend some time looking through Ephesians 6, 13, or 6 around that, 8 down. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued. So when it's all over, but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. God has given you everything you need for the moment. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it's all there for you. You also need to brace yourself. When you are prepared, even if you're not prepared, but when you are prepared and you start to make changes in your life spiritually and it starts to overflow into your everyday life, your family life, your work life, you need to brace for yourself because you're going to get pushback. Have you ever been in a situation where you've not come across as hopefully self-righteous, like I'm perfect, but you're trying to live a life that honors God, so you're kind of trying to do the right things, and all of a sudden you start getting pushback. You start. You, you have like a victory in your life. You, you've overcome something, and you think, wow, now I should be like riding high, and all of a sudden you feel something trying to pull their legs out from under you. You need to brace yourself. You decide to follow Christ. You need to brace yourself. I can remember, I give examples, sometimes where I would be in a working environment and, and I was trying to do the right thing and, and just kind of fly under the radar but do the right thing, I would get pushback. Just, just working the way you're supposed to, not slacking off. Remember one time I was working at a pharmaceutical company and one of our jobs was to, to take the, the, the packages that came to the loading dock and then distribute them around the warehouse. So when people were picking the orders to go out to the local uh, pharmacies, the local uh, drug stores, uh, that they could find, you know, they'd go to aisle whatever, and there'd be numbers and all that kind of stuff. And so that was my job. So I would go to the loading dock, pick up the stuff, go bring it to the thing, bring it back, and just walking back and forth. And, and one time the, the boss came up to me, or the supervisor for the, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean, what am I doing? What are you doing? I'm like, I've I just been picking up the stuff and putting it in. What are you, running? I'm like, what do you mean am I running? No, I'm just kind of, you're working way too fast. Everything's going to be done by Thursday. We need it to last to Thursday so Friday we don't have to do any work. I'm like, what? I'm just doing an honorable day's work, and I was getting pushback. There are other things. Maybe your language. I think I told you one time when I was in middle school and I changed that, my language was not colorful. (laughs) 
And I started to get heat from some of my other seventh graders. They called me preacher boy. I hated to be called preacher boy. I had no idea this is where I'd be someday. And so what did I start doing? I started swearing so they would stop calling me preacher boy. And I was really good at it, too. And because uh, and, uh, I just didn't want I, I was getting pushback for following Christ. Expect it. Brace yourself for it. Love this little line in some of your translations. It says, Israel had become a stench to the Philistines. Are you a stench? That sounds terrible. Do you stink <laughs> to those that aren't interested in following God? Now, the flip side of that, we could say, when you live a life that is a life that honors God, you're a pleasing aroma. There's that imagery in the Older Testament. You're, you're, a, you're a, a sacrifice of incense. You have a pleasing aroma to God. And the flip side to those around you, sometimes you stink. Now, they don't create a stink. Sometimes Christians, you know, create stinks, uh, are not nice. You, you, you don't have to be a jerk about things that you don't have to be a jerk about. Um, don't be funny, don't be weird. There's enough in faith that's unusual to someone who's just discovering faith that you don't have to add to it. You don't have to have all these odd things. But if you're living in an, in a, in an environment and you're following Christ, you will smell different. You'll smell good to God and not smell too good to those around you. That, that's, that's, that's what's happening here. Uh, the Philistines didn't like that the kingdom was being established. And they were, they were doing what they needed to do. Again, in, uh, you can look at Ephesians. Uh, I've, we're reading this as a leadership team, and it kind of amazed me. Someone reminded me of this this week. It says this, a good shepherd will, be, will put the need of the sheep first. And that's in the sense of a leader. All of us have influence, so to some degree all of us are leaders. And then there are those that are, that are leading maybe a little differently. Uh, even at the risk of being misunderstood and maligned. But he doesn't enjoy it. Those who enjoy keeping their sheep on the edge aren't shepherds, they're spiritual bullies, so we don't want to be that. That's the negative side of that. But if you're following Christ, you need to expect to be misunderstood and maligned. And that bugs me. Oh, that bugs me. I want to I wanna say the words so, so I'm understood. Because obviously, you know, I think that we're doing things in the right way, so I want to kind of settle things up. I, I hate to be misunderstood. But if you're a Christ follower and you're following Christ, doing the right things, being honest, integrity, all of those kinds of things, you will be misunderstood and then you will be maligned. And because of that, you can't follow Christ without being confronted with the temptation to give up. Or at least maybe that's me. I, maybe you, you never don't want to, you know, you're never at a place where you want to give up. But there's some things where I just want to give up. I want to give up because it's just so overwhelming. Uh, you know, I, I want some breaks. I don't want the heat to always seem to be on. And it's not that I have a terrible hard life, so don't misunderstand me with that. But I don't like the heat. Get out of the kitchen, if you will. Get, stay away from that. Because it is overwhelming. And for Samuel and the Israel, or for Saul, Israel's Jonathan, it was overwhelming. You heard those numbers. The Philistines were huge. 
outnumbered them incredibly. It was overwhelming. Yet, if they went back a little bit in history, they would see where God had come through with them time and time again. When the numbers were even, were even worse, when, when Gideon was with 300, not 600, and there were hundreds of thousands. So, when you and I are feeling overwhelmed, we get tempted to give up. And that's natural. Don't beat yourself up for that. Identify it and see it. Also, it can be very lonely. You can feel isolated. What's wonderful is, yes, we can have friends that are close, but even sometimes when we have friends that are close, we feel isolated. I don't know if you remember Elijah when he uh, had his Mount Carmel mount meltdown. Uh, he had, had this great victory, and uh, he's talking to God, and God, he's, he's taken off because he's just been overwhelmed. He's talking with God. He feels lonely. He says, there's no one else but me. And God says, there are thousands that still, in a sense, follow me. We can feel that way. It's not reality. We feel lonely. We feel isolated. Paul felt this. I don't think this is in your notes. Uh, 2 Timothy 4.16, uh, the TP is today's passion translation. The MSG is uh, the message paraphrase, and the NIV is uh, the, new ins- the, the, the new international joke at that, the new inspired version. That's really not what it is, but it's the NIV. At first, there was no one I could count on to support me, to faithfully stand with me. They all ran off and abandoned me. But don't hold this against them. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a Jesus heart. I'm going to hold it against them. You abandoned me. No, 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 Paul's Transformed enough that he's not holding against them. He's learned. Remember Jesus when he's dying on the cross? Forgive them for they don't know what they do. Uh, first uh, martyr, Stephen, says basically the same thing. Unbelievable. I'm not there yet. But uh, Paul was there. They, they ran off. They, but don't hold it against me. For in spite of this, my Lord himself stood with me at my side, empowering, strengthening me to complete my ministry of spreading the message loud and clear to those who have never heard. His mission, folks, is our mission. If you're a Christ follower, your mission is to spread the message, the good news, the gospel, loud and clear to those who have never heard it. Our spreading mechanism may all be different, but we all have that same mission, that same call. Also, it can be draining. They watched. They watched people just peel off. Started with 3,000. Now they're down to 600. And also waiting. He waited the seven days. This is the mystery. He waited seven days. I guess he needed to wait seven days and five hours or whatever it was. I would say, I waited seven days. He said seven days, but he wasn't supposed to do what he did. He wasn't supposed to do that. If he just waited a little bit longer, but he didn't. Sometimes you and I push, push. We think we're waiting on God. We, we know we ought to wait, and it's too long, and finally we take things into our own hands. 
Abraham, Abram, and Sarai. Sarah did the same thing when they tried to figure out how to have a kid because, I, um, because uh, they didn't have one yet. They took things in their own hands and it messed everything up. That's a whole other story. We're still living with that mess. Also, when we think about this, it can be enticing. It can be tempting to just, just take things in our own hands and, and do what we kind of know we're not supposed to. Saul knew that, and he did it anyway. Uh, Saul was afraid of the people, afraid of the enemy, afraid of all kinds of things. And we read in Proverbs this idea, being afraid of People can get you into trouble. It's a trap. But if you trust the Lord, you will be safe. You will be protected. doesn't mean we don't act, but it means that we don't act when we're not supposed to act. That comes back to your walk with God. Knowing His voice, knowing when to move forward, when to wait. You can't follow Christ by ignoring his directions. This may sound very clear, but uh, Matthew 7, 24, talking about building a house on the, the rock or the sand. I, I love this. These words I speak to you, this is Jesus, are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living, so you can avoid conflict and avoid trials. They are foundational words. Words to build your life on. Are you building your life on God's words? I'm not saying it's easy, but are you doing it? And there are things, as we've talked, and you can't touch this. Uh, that series, we'll get back to that after uh, into July. But this idea that um, there are things that are clear, clear. Clear, 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 clear. We're supposed to spend time with God every day. That's clear. That's not like, who should I spend time with God? Should I read his word? No. It's clear. Should you obey him? It's clear. There's a lot of clear stuff out there. But when I talk about subjects like this, even from my, from my life too, it's kind of like i got to convince myself. God's word is right. Even if it causes more trouble and trials in my life, I still need to follow it. It's right. I need to follow his commands. I need to follow his directions. I do it, and uh, maybe things don't go as well as I'd like, but, but, but I, I feel that foundation in my life. I'm listening to him. I'd rather walk with God through a trial than not walk with God and not have trials. But I still feel like i got to convince myself. i got to trick myself. Sometimes I have a great time with God. I read passage. It really speaks to my heart. And, and I'm going like, yeah, yeah, God's speaking to me. And then the next morning I wake up and I really don't want to spend time with him. What is wrong with me? I had a, a great thing. If, if I go to a restaurant and I get a meal there and it's tasty, you can't stop me from going back to that meal. It's not like I go, oh, do I want to eat that? You know, that smash hamburger from Johnny's Kitchen. No, oh, it's so terrible. You know, it's so good. But no, no, I'm like there. I'm trying to find out, you know, not to go there. You know, why do we do that? Reminds me of our grandson trying to convince him to eat broccoli. Delicious. 
Watch Grampy. Watch Pops. Hmm. Is the broccoli doing it for you? Delicious! I love broccoli. Not so much. Why do we have to do that about following God? I don't know what. What is that? Also, with this, don't justify missing the mark. Saul gives all kinds of excuses when we talk about missing the mark. That's code for sin. Actually, sin means missing the mark. See how I did that? Don't justify sinning. Don't justify missing the mark. Don't do that. Just skipping ahead to Luke says... You always want to look spiritual in the eyes of others, but you've forgotten the eyes of God, which sees what is inside you. The very things that you approve of and applaud are things God despises. You know, just you got it. You know what that says. Don't dismiss the potential consequences. There were consequences for Saul's disobedience. You know, perspective, I go, wow, that's kind of heavy. Couldn't you just kind of give him a little slap on his hand? Not that the kingdom's over and all this kind of stuff. That seems a little harsh. But that's where the consequences were. There are consequences for you and I when we sin, when we disobey. And... Uh, can't take that away from you. Some of us are living in the... Con they get compounded in our life. And so God's trying to protect us from something, and we just charge ahead. The harvest you reap reveals the seed that you planted. It takes a little time. If you plant the corrupt seeds of self-life of of self into this natural realm, you can expect to experience a harvest of corruption. If you plant the good seeds of a spirit life, you will reap the beautiful fruits that grow from the everlasting life of the spirit. What you plant is what you get, what I get. Don't allow the failures to keep you down. We are not perfect. Don't allow that to, for you to miss the mark. Go, oh, well, I can, you know, I'm not perfect. So I guess this time it's worth the consequences. Sometimes I know when I misbehaved as a kid, it was worth the consequences to me. So I said, I'd go for it and take it later and, you know, and whatever. But uh, don't allow the fails to keep you down. We could take a look at Peter. Peter failed, but it didn't get him down didn't let him down. You see, in a sense, that Saul, in a sense, needs to start over again. He's now back to 600 soldiers. Sometimes you and I need to start over again. Don't let that stop you. Like what Proverbs says, for the lover of God may suffer adversity, 
and stumble seven times, but they will continue to rise over and over again. But the unrighteous are brought down by just one calamity and will never be able to rise again. Never gloat when your enemy meets disaster. So that, I like that, you know, so you're doing things right. Sometimes I like, I go, ha, they're getting what they deserve. Don't do that. That's, that reflects a heart that's misaligned with God. Uh, for the Lord who sees your heart will be displeased with you and will pity your fool. Don't be angrily offended over evildoers or be agitated by them. For the wicked have no life and no future. So don't let that ruin your life. So when we think about all of this, uh, don't follow Jesus to get your way. Follow Jesus to get his way. And we're going to see Saul through his life just wants the heat off to get what he wants to get rather than get the way of God. And it just continues to, un, it just continues to crumble for uh, 42 years of his rule. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the honesty of your word. We're thankful that you don't pull any punches. Father, we just ask that you would help us take where we're at, where you have us at, and take the next step in our walk with you. For some of us, that may be saying yes to you for the first time. For others, it may be saying yes to you regularly. We thank you that you give us everything we need. We thank you that your word speaks into our hearts and we can know your voice as sheep know the voice of a shepherd. Lord, give us a good rest of the afternoon.